May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So all of the scriptures today kind of point to an important theme in in Christian living. They point to the theme of speech and heart attitude. James kind of zings us, doesn't he? <laughs> Talks about how the, how the tongue is, is a dangerous, dangerous member of our body and can create great havoc in the world. We've all received tongue lashings, right? How many, is there anybody in here that hasn't received a tongue lashing? I thought not. And most of us have given tongue lashings. And quite often, if we're the one giving them, we feel pretty horrible afterwards. We recognize the damage done. And if we're on the receiving end, we feel the damage. It creates angst and unhappiness and sadness, sometimes guilt. Fill in the emotions, but it ain't good. Proverbs talks about the attitude of the heart, how, we, how our hearts are, are either open to God or they're closed to God, and, and it's to our demise if they're closed to God. And Jesus in the gospel talks about how unless we're willing to give up our lives for his sake, we lose them. Unless our hearts are given over to God, we lose the very life and the joy and and the blessing that we seek. But the passage I want us to focus on today is the psalm. So, here's the deal. When we do a choral Eucharist, we often don't print the whole psalm. So I want you to grab your prayer book and open to page 606 in the Book of Common Prayer. Because I want, to, I want you to see the entirety of the psalm. And while you're turning there, one of my favorite Christian authors and theologians, C.S. Lewis, wrote of Psalm 19, and this is a quote, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. That's pretty high praise from a man who knew his Bible and who wrote some pretty fine things himself. The greatest psalm in all of the Psalter and one of the most beautiful lyrics ever written. Now, if you remember, the psalms in the Psalter were often set to music. The music has long been lost. So contemporary writers and some not-so-contemporary writers have set many of the psalms to music, and we enjoy them today. But the songs that the ancient church sang to these lyrics have long been lost. But it's important to keep in mind that they're poetry and they're also theology. They were meant to teach the people, teach the church, the truths about God 
and the truths about themselves, and they were regularly, just like we do, used in their worship. Every time they got together to worship, a psalm was either sung or spoken. So that's an important thing to remember about all of the psalms, and particularly, particularly this one. This psalm, Psalm 19, is both filled with beautiful poetry and really sound theology. So let's look at this for a second. In the beginning of the psalm, it really has two parts. It's a two-part psalm. The first part of the psalm, the psalmist is praising God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his skill. Everything that the psalmist observes in nature is evidence of God's creative energy, his love for the creation, his his exuberance, the glory of God. Everything that we see in all of creation is evidence of a loving, creative, mighty, glorious God. Standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon at sunrise, watching the powerful surf and sheets of water shooting 15 feet up in the air, hiking in a fog-shrouded natural environment, watching the desert flower. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament shows his skill, the psalmist says. This is a roar of praise in the beginning of this psalm. The psalmist talks about sunsets, how how God paints the sunrise, and it goes over the sky, and then it ends in a sunset. God is responsible for all of the created world, including you and me. Scripture tells us we're created in God's image, male and female. Arrhenius of Lyons famously said, the glory of God is the human person fully alive. And the psalmist, in my opinion, and apparently that of C.S. Lewis, totally gets that. That total aliveness, that total awareness of the glory of God that is everywhere to be seen if we just have the eyes to see it. But the beauty of this psalm isn't, in my opinion, in that roar of praise, but it's in the second part of the psalm. It's built into the quiet stillness of a human heart poured out to a loving creator. If you notice, the psalmist starts talking about the decrees of God and that, and that the law of the Lord is good and, and it's hard for human beings to, to follow the rule of the law and to follow the law of the Lord and that we fail. We flat out fail. Even with all the natural evidence around us, And the knowledge that we're loved by God. Israel, who were the chosen people, (laughs) 
and were had evidences over and over and over again in their lives and in their experience as the chosen people, they still failed, just like us. Verse 13, if you look at verse 13 in the psalm, it says, Keep your servant from presumptuous sins. That line to me is really, really powerful. To me, that's saying, keep me from a sense of entitlement, God. Keep me from taking your blessings from, for granted. Deliver me from my superiority complex. Keep my ego in check so that you reside on the throne of my heart, not me. (laughs) And then verse 14, one of the most beautiful prayers in all of Scripture. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Be acceptable to you. So what would happen? I want you to think with me here. What would happen in our ordinary, everyday lives if we lived out this prayer in verse 14? if we embraced it, if we prayed it every day, if we entered into the truth of this prayer, how might our lives change? How might our church change? How might our relationships with others change? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing Delight, be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What would happen if we meditated on just that prayer? How might our day-in, day-out life change? May the words of my mouth, may the words that I speak, may my actions May they reflect you, God. (laughs) You know, James totally gets it, that the words that come out of our mouth, whether they be of blessing or of curse, those words reflect what's happening interiorly. I think that's why we hate it so much when we say something and we want to grab it back so quick, right? Because we know that that reveals something in us that's kind of (laughs) ugly and not of God and probably not really of our heart, of the true person that God has created us to be. Their words of ego, their words of self-promotion, their words of, of unkindness. And I don't think most of us want to speak those words, but sometimes... Oops, I did it again. There it goes. Can't get it back. 
So the prayer, may the words that I speak and my actions reflect you, God. <laughs> and then will, may the meditations of my heart, may the things that I focus on in my thinking, where I direct my energy, where I obsess, where I worry, where I grudge hold, the things I fear, those things that keep you up at night. (laughs) May the meditations of my heart be transformed to be beautiful. May I stop worrying. May I stop obsessing. May I stop fill in the blank, whatever it is. The psalmist reminds us that our words and our heart attitudes reflect where we are in our spiritual walk. And uh, speaking for myself, I can go from here to here in 60 seconds. I can be all grace and beauty and blessing. And a minute later, I can say something that I just want to pull back. What if my prayer every day was this prayer? In Psalm 19. What if your prayer every day was this prayer? You see, it's not just an acknowledgement of the truth that what we say and our heart attitude is reflected in what we say. It's a plea by the psalmist because the psalmist sure gets what James says in his epistle. The psalmist well knows how harmful the tongue can be and how it's evidence of what's going on interiorly. So the psalmist cuts to the chase and pleads with God, petitions God and says, I know I can't do this alone, but by your Holy Spirit, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart please you. I like please you better than acceptable because acceptable sounds like, okay, you get a C. But I want to I please God. I want to please him with my heart attitude and with my, with my words. I don't want him just to be acceptable. I want him to be pleasing to God. And finally, the psalmist acknowledges in whom... He is placing his trust to make this happen, to make the words and to make the meditations be pleasing. He acknowledges his Lord, his rock, and his Redeemer. The one who has created everything, including each of us. The one who is solid and unchanging and reliable, whose foot, if you set your foot on that rock, Scripture tells us it will not move. He will not move. 
solid foundation. That's who the psalmist is praying to. The one who created the whole world, the one who is rock solid and reliable, and the one who redeems. And here's the catch. The beautiful truth in that prayer. Even when I speak destructive words, even when my heart attitude stinks, somehow, somehow, God redeems it. And it becomes, I become, my heart, my words become pleasing to him. Don't know how he does it. I do know what it's called. It's called grace. And that grace is found, is, is anchored in that rock of love. Because as God looks on every single one of us, his created Beloved children. He looks at us through the lens of love, not of judgment. It's not that he doesn't notice when we screw up. (laughs) He knows we're going to mess up before we do. But because he loves us so much and has redeemed us, Pulls out his photo wallet. Says, look at my kid. Natalie's awesome. Did you know, did you know that Natalie is awesome? Did you know, did you know how cool Tom is? Do you have any idea how much I love him? And then Mary Kate, well, she beats all. He loves us so much. We're all God's favorite children. And because of that love, somehow he redeems the chaff of our lives. He takes it and makes it beautiful. Somehow. It's a miracle. The God who created the heavens and the firmament not only is glorious and mighty in the creation, but he's deeply personal and glorious and mighty in the creation of a new heart in each of us. All we need do is participate in that transformation, in that, in, in that redemption, in that work of God that he's always already begun in each of us. All we need to do is to participate. And when we don't participate, he still loves us. <laughs> Can't stop it. 
This God that we love, that created the entire world, that's worthy of shouts of praise, is deeply personal, deeply relational, and deeply in love with every single one of us. And if the only thing you remember when you walk away here from today, from here today, (laughs) is that God loves you no matter what. Period. Then you got it. Are we imperfect? Yeah. Are we flawed? Most certainly. But we're loved and cherished cherished by a redemptive God who knows our hearts, who knows our thoughts, the good, the bad, the ugly, and he loves us anyway. And he redeems them, redeems us, so that we will be beautiful, pleasant in his sight. So my challenge for each of us is to this week... Make Psalm 19, verse 14, our prayer. Try it out. If you have to, write it on a little index card. Post it on your mirror or on your dashboard in your car or put it on your iPhone. I guess I'm old-fashioned when I say put it on an index card. And be reminded, put it on your calendar um, alert so that every day at 9 o'clock in the morning, Psalm 19 comes up. Let that be our prayer so that we can marinate in the love of God and in the truth that we are redeemed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.